MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, July 1st, 2020. Today, more details unfold in the reporting of Russian bounties. House Democrats introduce a resolution to open up an impeachment inquiry into Attorney General Bill Barr. Nunez loses in court again. Amy McGrath wins the Kentucky Senate primary. COVID is ravaging the nation as leading health experts testify in Congress. Trump's brother Robert wins an injunction against Mary Trump's book. And SCOTUS 101, a lesson on the inner workings of the Supreme Court decision days from one of the top law professors in the country. I'm your host, A.G. Greetings, everyone. Happy July and happy one-year anniversary of the Daily Beans. That's how long we've been doing this show. Uh, today, we've got a pretty pretty great show. I'll be discussing the Russia story uh, in the A Block, which is now one of the major um, news stories, wall-to-wall on all of the networks. Well, at least CNN and MSNBC. Fox has it on fourth behind. I mean, they're talking about the Russia news story, but they're talking about how we need to go after the leakers. But this is all thanks to everyone raising their voices and public outrage about Trump uh, potentially knowing that, uh, you know, Putin, Kremlin and the GRU were paying bounties to hunt and murder U.S. and allied coalition forces in Afghanistan. Uh, and I'll be joined later by law professor um, Stephen Vladek for a lesson on the machinations of the Supreme Court, including reading the blog, understanding decisions, uh, when they happen, uh, how to know if it's the last decision of the day and other ins and outs of the highest court in the land. So, uh, I'll also be joined by Jordan Coburn for News from Under the Radar, and Mandy Reeder will be with us for the Good News Block. I haven't talked to her in a while. It'll be nice to hear her voice. Uh, please send us your good news stories and your quarantine confessions to uh, to our website, dailybeanspod.com. You can also submit corrections. We're going to start including those in this show. And please join us uh, this Friday for our live stream meet and greet on Crowdcast. It's 4 Pacific time for patrons and 5 p.m. for the public. Check out Twitter Friday for that link, at MullerSheWrote and at DailyBeansPod. We do have a lot of news to get to today, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, so we've been screaming for a few years on this show and on Mueller She Wrote that Trump cannot be an effective president as long as he's compromised by Russia and the GRU. There are literally hundreds of pieces of evidence, if not thousands, that Trump is Putin's lapdog. And while we might not know exactly why, uh, we can certainly guess. Right. Many, many believe he owes them a substantial amount of money from loans doled out by Russia through Deutsche Bank and money laundering, which is one of the reasons we're all waiting with bated breath to get the Deutsche Bank and Capital One Supreme Court decision, which is due any day now. Uh, I'm pretty sure, though I haven't laid eyes on the intel, that Russia co-signed loans for Trump and his businesses through Deutsche Bank on multiple occasions. Uh, others say he's compromised by uh, the P-tape or some other sex act, perhaps through Epstein's potential Russian mob handlers or through the Kremlin itself. Yet others say that Trump doesn't care about sex acts. Look at the Access Hollywood tape. Look at his, you know, I mean, whatever. He doesn't give a shit uh, if they go public. So maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, Trump is clearly not allowed to say anything bad about Vladimir Putin. And somebody pointed out, uh, if Trump were working directly with Putin in a, in a conspiracy, he wouldn't be acting this way. There would be a dramatic public instance of rebuke, maybe at Helsinki, uh, you know, strong, you know, strong arming Putin. Um, 
you know, as part of the charade, as part of the act, if they were in on it together. But no, this is straight up compromise, and I think it has to do with Trump's finances. But either way, uh, we now find ourselves in a position where it's likely that Trump knew as early as January 2019 uh, that Putin's GRU was paying Taliban forces to assassinate U.S. and allied troops in Afghanistan. We talked about it with former Russian ambassador Michael McFaul uh, at length yesterday. Uh, but after our interview and after we recorded uh, Monday's episode, two major stories broke back to back late at night uh, with more stories breaking Tuesday uh, morning. Now, let's start with the stories from Monday night. First, the New York Times dropped a story that the investigation into Russia's suspected operation is said to focus in part um, on the killing of three Marines in an ambush from April of 2019. Here's the lead. Quote, American officials provided a written briefing in late February to President Trump laying out uh, their conclusion that a Russian military intelligence unit offered and paid bounties to Taliban-linked militants to kill U.S. and coalition troops in Afghanistan and that the investigation into the matter uh, has focused in part on that April 2019 car bombing that killed the three Marines. This is according to multiple officials, uh, one of which told the New York Times that this intelligence was in the president's daily brief on February 27th, specific date. Further, the intelligence was seen as serious and solid enough uh, to disseminate to the entire U.S. intelligence community in a May 4th article in the CIA's World Intelligence Review, a classified newsletter referred to as The Wire. But of course, Trump says he wasn't briefed on it. And the reason he wasn't briefed on it is because the intelligence wasn't credible. I don't think a leaker would risk prison time on non-credible intelligence. Nor do I think there's multiple sources now. It's not just one person. There's multiple. Uh, But yeah, there's... You know, they wouldn't send it out to the world. They wouldn't give it to all the, you know, UK intelligence, the five eyes, allied forces, NATO, our friends in NATO for now, till Trump blows that up, if it were not credible. CIA Director Gina Haspel even released a statement yesterday, first to criticize the leak. As I predicted, that would be the focus of this administration. Haspel said, when developing intelligence assessments, initial tactical reports often require additional collection and validation. In general, preliminary force protection information is shared throughout the national security community and with U.S. allies as part of our ongoing efforts to ensure the safety of coalition forces overseas. Leaks compromise and disrupt this critical interagency work to collect, assess, and ascribe culpability. And that's true. I'll give her that. Hostile states' use of proxies in war zones to inflict damage on U.S. interests and troops is a constant, longstanding concern. CIA will continue to pursue every lead, analyze the information we collect with critical objective eyes, and brief um, reliable intelligence to protect U.S. forces deployed around the world. Unquote. She did not say Trump didn't know. What she actually said is that this is credible enough that we send it to everyone and we're mad it was leaked because it makes it hard for us to catch the bad guys. That also sort of lends veracity to the intelligence, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't her saying leaks compromise and disrupt the critical interagency work to assess and describe culpability? I mean, why would you ascribe culpability and um, analyze and, and assess evidence uh, if if it's not credible? How can you be mad that it got leaked if if it's not credible intelligence? Anyway, uh, 
DNI John, John Ratcliffe, uh, who lied about his intelligence experience, by the way, uh, but was confirmed by the Senate anyhow. He released a similar statement going after the leakers, but not acknowledging the bigger picture that our troops have prices on their heads and our leadership isn't doing shit about it. And the families, of, especially of these three Marines, are pissed. And I would be too. And a lot of veterans and active duty service members and their families should be furious at this. So now Trump knew February 27th, or he didn't read the brief. Either way, a dereliction of duty. Either way, that's really bad. To defend, you know, to defend against treason or, you know, <laughs> to by saying that you're incompetent, hmm, I don't know. But the next bombshell came from the Associated Press and James Laporta, who reported, quote, top officials in the White House were aware in early 2019 of classified intelligence indicating Russia was secretly offering bounties to the Taliban for deaths of Americans a full year earlier than has been previously reported. That's according to U.S. officials with direct knowledge of the intelligence. U.S. officials, plural. The assessment was included in at least one of President Donald Trump's written daily intelligence briefings at the time, uh, according to the officials. The, the National Security Advisor John Bolton also told colleagues he briefed Trump on the intelligence assessment in March of 2019. Remember that date. Put a pin in March 2019. The White House did not respond to questions about Trump or other officials' awareness of Russia's provocations in 2019. The White House has said Trump was not and still has not been briefed on the intelligence assessments because they have not been fully verified. However, it is rare for intelligence to be confirmed without a shadow of doubt, a shadow of a doubt before it's presented to these top officials. The intelligence that surfaced in early 2019 indicated Russian operatives had been more aggressive in their desire to contract with the Taliban and members of the Haqqani Network, a militant group aligned with the Taliban in Afghanistan, and designated a foreign terrorist organization. They were in 2012 by Obama. The National Security Council, or NSC, and the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence did hold meetings regarding the intelligence. That's the DNI and the NSC. The Pentagon declined to comment, and the NSC didn't respond to questions about those meetings. Hmm. What are you doing, Esper? Then get this. Quote, concerns about Russian bounties flared anew this year after members of the elite naval special warfare development group known as uh, SEAL Team 6 raided a Taliban outpost and recovered roughly $500,000 in U.S. currency. The funds bolstered the suspicions of the American intelligence community that Russians had offered money to Taliban militants and other linked associations. The White House contends Trump was unaware of this development as well. Extra stupid. And now uh, today... More evidence has surfaced to bolster these, uh, this intelligence from the New York Times. Quote, American officials intercepted electronic data showing large financial transfers from a bank account controlled by Russia's military intelligence agency to Taliban-linked account, a Taliban-linked account, which was among the evidence that supported their conclusion that, Ruff that Russia covertly offered bounties for killing U.S. and coalition troops in Afghanistan, according to three officials familiar with the intelligence. So <laughs> it sounds like... It sounds like these officials went to the New York Times and said, holy shit, hair on fire. This is actually happening. And then every time Trump denies something, they seem to go back to the New York Times and say, uh-uh-uh, it was in the February 27th briefing. Uh, no, I didn't know about it. Uh-uh, yes, you did. Mitch McConnell told you about it in 2019. Uh, uh, uh no, this isn't, uh, it's not credible. It's, it's not really happening. Uh, nope, nope, I actually have electronic data showing large financial transfers 
from Russia to a Taliban-linked account. Evidence supporting our conclusion that Russia covertly offered bounties for killing U.S. and coalition troops in Afghanistan. So it seems like every time Trump makes a denial, a U.S. official goes back to the New York Times or the Associated Press. And though the United States has accused Russia of providing general support to the Taliban before, uh, analysts concluded from other intelligence, other intelligence, that the transfers were most likely part of a bounty program that detainees described during interrogations. Gina Haspel knows a little bit about that. Investigators also identified by name numerous Afghans in a network linked to the suspected Russian operation, the official said, including two of them, um, added uh, a man believed to have served as an intermediary for distributing some of the funds and who is now thought to be in Russia. A bagman. Look at that. By name. And Afghans, Afghans in a network. Two of them, a man believed to have served as a bagman. The intercepts um, bolstered the findings gleaned from the interrogations. So they questioned. Um, they got leads. They found these things. Um, help this helping this helps to reduce an earlier disagreement among intelligence analysts and agencies over the reliability of the detainees. So if the Republicans, and oh, God bless them if they want to say torture doesn't work, right? If they want to come out with that shit right now, mm, fuck all y'all. Because what the detainees told um, these intelligence officials panned out, and there's evidence that supports it. In fact, the information was provided to him in his daily written brief in late February. That's Trump's. Afghan officials this week described a sequence of events that dovetailed with an account of the intelligence. They said that several businessmen who transferred money through the informal Hawala system were arrested in Afghanistan over the past six months and were suspected of being part of a ring of middlemen who operated between the Russian intelligence agency, the GRU, and Taliban-linked militants. The businessmen were arrested in what officials described as sweeping raids in the north of Afghanistan as well as in Kabul. Then we have the Republican-only briefing that took place Monday, followed by a separate Dem briefing on Tuesday. Prior to that briefing, I spoke to former Assistant Director of the FBI for Counterintelligence, Frank Faglusi. You can hear that on Monday's Daily Beans, who told me, quote, the briefing needs to be from heads of the CIA, DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, and NSA. Anything else is insufficient. That's according to Frank Faglusi. But the briefing was given by Robert O'Brien, Mark Meadows, Larry Curley, and Moe gave this briefing, and John Ratcliffe. So, the National Security Advisor, Trump's chief of staff, and their talentless liar with no intel experience, Ratcliffe, a former Republican representative from Congress. Uh, Democrat Steny Hoyer and the other Democrats that were briefed uh, on Tuesday gave a press conference saying Trump is wrong when he calls this intelligence a hoax. And the briefing they got was insufficient and amounted to a repeat of Trump's side of the story and spin and nothing more. Hoyer echoed what Frank Faglusi told me, that anything short of a brief with at least the directors of the CIA and NSA to the full House is a joke. Senate Democrats have also sent a letter requesting Pompeo and Mike Esper appear this week to answer questions about the Russian bounties. Hopefully, the Democrats will change their in inherent contempt rules and subpoena them if they refuse to show up and find their asses money. Money. Uh, I think Pence should also testify. Trump. I mean, I, I think a million people should testify. I'm tired of Pence getting away with everything. This criminal ass in that seat and get him to testify for 11 hours. 
I even have a super space beans theory that I tweeted out on the Muller She Wrote account. Let me tell it to you because I had to get it out of my head. I don't know how viable it is. I, it's speculation. I mean, a, a lot of it is, is reporting that's out publicly, but um, I just had to get it out of my head because it was rattling around in there with these timelines, with all this new reporting that came out last night. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought, I really want to get this out of my head and down somewhere that I can reference later. You know, maybe I'm uh, incorrect, but, I, you know, I've been incorrect before. But uh, let's see here. Let me find this. Uh, here I am on Twitter. There's nothing political about broadcasting the truth. Oh, that's me. Um, beep, boo. All right, so the thread starts with, I know this sounds like super space beans, but I need to get out of my head, so I'm putting it here. Uh, some is public reporting, which I've labeled AP for Associated Press, and some is speculative, labeled AG, which is me. So follow me. January 2019, that's a year and a half ago, the White House briefed, um, was briefed on Russian bounties to the Taliban to murder allied troops in Afghanistan. That's from the Associated Press. March 2019, Bolton discusses the bounties with Trump. That is from Associated Press. April 2019, three U.S. Marines are murdered in an ambush in Afghanistan. The Taliban claims responsibility. That is also public reporting. I say then, here's my conjecture, if that ambush was part of the bounty operation, then Trump at that point had blood on his hands and began trying to hide the intel, keeping it under wraps for the last 14 months. And then this is from public reporting. He did fire five inspectors general, including the one from the Pentagon, replaced the director of national intelligence with a yes man, and gutted the National Counterintelligence or National Counterterrorism Center. And he gutted the U.S. Agency for Global Media, who was reporting against him. Uh, former director of national intelligence McGuire briefed the Gang of Eight in February, and then Trump fired him on February 21st for not briefing him first. Ah, and that's public reporting, but here's my conjecture. Maybe that briefing included uh, the information on the bounties, and maybe this is the first time that maybe that's the first time Congress had heard of it. Although Nancy Pelosi did come out and say Tuesday that she was never briefed, and she is part of that uh, gang, isn't she? Well, she would have heard about it. Uh, next, Trump does damage control, and this is speculation, and uses Barr to get rid of the non-cooperative. Republican chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Burr, by investigating his stock cells ahead of their counterintelligence report being released. And then I just want everyone to think of everyone Trump has fired since last April 2019. Think of all the favors he's done for Russia since then, including Germany troop withdrawal. And I mean, the, the list is endless. Think of all the clandestine pootie calls and secret meetings. Think about the fact that he blocked the DNI threat assessment from coming out in March for the first time in 14 years. It usually goes to Congress and the public, and it, it's still held up. Uh, we need a full investigation. We need to see the PDBs, particularly February 27th. We need testimony and documents. We need everything. And then I ended with, this all sounds nuts to me, but a long time ago we speculated that Roger Stone told Trump about WikiLeaks dumps ahead of time and Manafort and Gates knew. I also thought we sounded crazy then. Please note this is only conjecture based on public reporting. The end. So that's my wild theory. We'll see how it... Uh, it could fit in with so many other things. It could fit in with Syria and the bombing of Syria and the withdrawal of troops in Syria. We abandoned the Kurds, which Russia loved. I know it fits in with the Germany troop withdrawal, um, the Iran deal, uh, Ukraine, 
the impeachment scandal with Ukraine. It could everything could be tied to this. We will find out uh, eventually. Uh, in any case, um, I really, uh, I'm really, really mad about this. If you can't tell, but we will be right back. Uh, we have more headlines. We have news from under the radar with Jordan Coburn. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. From coffee and supplements to pet treats, CBD is popping up in everything these days, but it can be confusing and complicated. You don't know what your dosage is, and it's hard to tell what's good for you and what's not. And more importantly, who can you trust? Well, those are some of the questions that I had, and Sunsoil CBD answered them all. With Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it comes from. They're totally transparent. There's no second guessing. They only use ingredients you can understand and pronounce and trust. Most of their products have only two ingredients, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. Easy peasy. Transparency and quality control are what set them apart from the rest. They farm all their own hemp in their Green Mountains farm uh, in Vermont, and they extract the CBD themselves. Everything's in-house, and they test for quality and purity at every step. They never use pesticides or herbicides or GMOs because Sunsoil does everything in-house and because they keep their products simple, they can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are usually half the price of other ingestible CBD brands. And every Sunsoil product is USDA organic, including their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, and their coconut oil. USDA, USDA certified organic. I put a few drops in my morning coffee. It's amazing. Um, sometimes I take a soft gel at night before getting a great night's sleep. But one of the greatest things about Sunsoil is that as the largest CBD manufacturer that partners with 1% for the planet, they are going to be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and the planet. You know how important that is to us here at Daily Beans. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making sure pure and simple CBD products are at an unbeatable price, and you can get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's sunsoil, S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for News Under the Radar with Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Lee. Excellent. It's It, it was really cool. I was chilly this morning. Now it's hot. It was warmer when I was talking to Mandy, and now it's, like, hot. Yeah, it's all over the place. I woke up at 6 a.m. this morning because I thought someone was breaking into my house, but it was just a crow on top of it. <laughs> Oh god, that's terrifying. Those crows are fucking huge, dude. It sounded like a like a minion man was trying to break in. It's like, what the hell is happening? Oh yeah, I get squirrels and raccoons and shit running across my roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm used to it now, but like at first I was like, what the f- Yeah. What the fuck is happening? Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so that's some news from under the radar, definitely, that um, <laughs> crows are on your house and raccoons yes. are on mine. But we do have a lot of headlines today. Let me kick it off. Um, I've got one here from CNN. Uh, a New York judge on Tuesday has temporarily blocked the publication of a, a quote-unquote unflattering tell-all book written by President Trump's niece, Mary Trump, that Simon & Schuster was set to publish in July, or is set to publish in July. Hmm. The ruling, issued by Judge Hal, Hal B. Greenwald, of New York State Supreme Court, um, the state's trial court, is the first legal win for Robert S. Trump, the younger brother of President uh, Trump. Robert Trump has sought to block the book by Mary Trump, uh, the president's niece, uh, obviously, is she, uh, and Robert Trump is, is contending that it violates a confidentiality agreement related to the estate of the president's father, Fred Trump. 
Quote, Robert Trump is very pleased with the New York Supreme Court's injunction against Mary Trump and Simon & Schuster. Uh, That's according to Charles Harder, uh, who is Robert Trump's attorney. Uh, Calling the actions of Mary Trump and and Simon & Schuster reprehensible, Harder added that he looked forward to vigorously litigating this case. That sounds... Sounds like he'll aggressive. Like he, a lot of movement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quote, like he's just like undulating at it. <laughs> um, uh, vigorously litigating. Uh, short of corrective action to immediately cease their egregious conduct, we will pursue this case to the very end. Oh, my goodness. How dramatic. Attorney for Robert Trump. Yeah. What the end being, they just leak it somewhere anyway. Like it's coming out. <laughs> Good luck, fuckers. Yeah. Uh, In addition to his work for Robert Trump, Harder, this guy who's going to litigate and undulate violently, has a history of filing lawsuits against news organizations on behalf of Donald Trump. The lawsuits have been dismissed by legal experts as public relations stunts with little chance of success in court. Hmm. Sounds so familiar. Ted Boutros, a renowned First Amendment attorney who represents Mary Trump and who uh, has also represented CNN on matters in the past, said the order flatly violates the First Amendment. So he's not violently undulating or, uh, you know, uh, egregious conduct pursuing to the end. He's just saying uh, this flatly violates the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also says we will immediately appeal this book, which is addresses which addresses matters of great public concern and importance about a sitting president in an election year should not be suppressed even for one day. So that's the first story. Jordan, what do you got? I have some uh, bummer coronavirus updates. Just things continuing to look really bad. Fauci testified. Uh, he said that he thinks it's possible we're going to start seeing cases rise to a level of 100,000 a day, new cases. So that's a staggering number. He said, quote, we are now having 40 plus thousand new cases a day. I would not be surprised if we go up to 100,000 a day, if this does not turn around. And so I am very concerned. He was talking to the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. Uh, Pensions? Pensions Committee. He... Was asked if the pandemic was under control. He said, I am not satisfied with what's going on because we are going in the wrong direction. And if you look at the curves of the new cases, um, so we've really got to do, if you look at the curves of the new cases, so we've really got to do something about that and we need to do it quickly. Clearly, we are not in total control right now. And we're not. It's, It's really bad. We're having increases in 36 states right now. 12 states are holding about steady, and there's only two states in the U.S. where we're seeing decreases. That is really bad. Mm-hmm. It used to be 12. Mm-hmm. It used to be 12 states that were seeing decreases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is Ugh. not where we should be. Obviously, as you start to reopen stuff, we were going to expect to see some level of increase, but nobody was... I can't even say no one was expecting it, because I know a lot of people were expecting it, but... I don't think that was the intention by any means or or that was the decision to that was the thing the decision to reopen was based on was knowing the numbers were going to start getting up to where they are right now. And it's really bad. People are just refusing to believe scientists still. It's the same shit. People are refusing to believe science. They're refusing to wear masks. They're uncomfortable with their lives changing in any way. And they just can't sustain giving a shit about other people for longer than a month's time and we're seeing the consequences of that 
Yeah. Somebody tweeted, uh, it was a bad move to say that the mask protects other people instead of yourself. This is the United States. Know your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, and then somebody else said whoever came up with the PR campaign to cut the six-pack rings of plastic uh, back in the 90s should be in charge of the face mask PR campaign. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because we right. did that without the internet. Yeah, we could collectively get people to care about turtles more than they do about humans. No offense to turtles. You guys are dope. But it'd also be nice if people could jump on the Saving Humanity train simultaneously. You guys are dope. Turtles are dope. Turtles are dope, dude. They are. They are. Yeah, it's... uh, yeah, it's really just uh, predictably disappointing. I mean, California is already starting to shut stuff down. At midnight yesterday, they shut down bars in any place that's not serving food. So if you are a restaurant, you're allowed to stay open. But if, you know, this we're talking about like comedy clubs and, and that sort of thing, unless you have a food license, you have to shut down. And there's many, 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 many bars that were open that do not have a food license. And so we, people got a little taste of that and uh, they ruined it yeah and i knew they would which is why i didn't really go to any bars for that week that they were open i was like "Mm, i bet people are going to be like pouring in there you know people are lonely and and wanting to get back to normal i get it you know i get it but well then you also had like workers who are sitting there needing to effectively be a security guard in their own store because these asshats come in all bare-mouthed, refusing to wear a mask. And then they have to tell them, hey, get, get the fuck out. Yeah, get, get, get the you, fuck get out your, if you're not going to wear a mask. Yeah, get your bare-ass mouth. <laughs> get your naked pie hole out of my face. Yeah, out of my fucking business forest. Bare mouth. Get it? Because it means two I things, get it. the word bear. Did your bare mouth shit in the woods? I'm rusty, okay? Yeah. I haven't been on stage in months. <laughs> But I feel like, um, but yeah, like there's all these videos going viral of the people going to, you know, Walmart or Target or small mom and pop shops. And I even heard a story of a place in San Diego, a taco shop that closed because they were like, I'm sick of fighting with the customers to not wear masks. It's it's literally not even worth it to us at this point, the amount of trouble that we're Mm. having trying to just get people to wear masks. Was it Don Carlos? Uh, I'm not sure what the name was. Maybe. I'll look it up, though, after and let mm. you know. I mean, you know the big famous one that's across the street from the store? Mm. Oh, got it. Okay. From, like, at the La Jolla store? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I haven't been there, actually. I need to go. I just saw this as a local headline. But for all the people that are saying, you know, reopen the economy, those are usually the same people that are also refusing to wear masks. So what about that scenario? What about when there's a business that was open and now they have to close because you're refusing to wear your mask? They'll say it's not their fault. They'll say it's part of the deep state hoax that the Democrats want to not work, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. (sighs) I don't know. Most of the bars I went to, Republicans weren't welcome at anyway, so I don't know what the (laughs) fucking problem is. (laughs) Yeah. There should be a temperature taker that takes your political temperature when you walk into places as well. (laughs) Oh, nice. It's just like red or blue, you know? It's like, (laughs) oh, God. I'm I'm a little mauve. Yeah. Yeah, That tends to naturally sort itself out, anyways, but wouldn't that be a thing? I would, let's invent it. How would you even (laughs) do that? I don't know. I don't know. 
You just show them a picture of like a of two men kissing and then see how they react. Just hook them up to some like Scientology meter, voltometer, or whatever. Like a mood, <laughs> yeah. a mood ring type situation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're real angry at watching Adam Schiff. You're not allowed in tonight, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, the, we require sleeves at this establishment. Um, <laughs> Did I ever tell you that my friend uh, Sonia and I used to, like, we worked, we ran karaoke at a, at a local pub, and it's it's a mixed crowd there, right? Like, everyone's welcome, but there's, so there's some red, there's some blue, there's some straight, there's some gay, like, it's a, it's a very, very mixed crowd. Dive bar, just like dive bars are, like your neighborhood pub. And this guy kept coming in without, with a sleeveless shirt, but not like a tank top, but like a shirt with slip with the sleeves like ripped off of it. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> and we decided to go to a thrift store and buy a bunch of like men's shirts and cut the collar and sleeves off of them and bring them with us to the bar. And if somebody showed up without sleeves, we'd be like, sorry, we require sleeves here. If you don't have a shirt, <laughs> we have some sleeves here that you could borrow. And people would put these like sleeves on that didn't match their shirts. Oh my would... God, I love that. <laughs> and they, That's and they so would funny. fucking do it. They did it because we were cute girls, you know? So that, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, they're just wearing like, Little cloth floaties, basically. <laughs> like a dinky with sleeves is yeah. what it was. <laughs> with their, you know, with their Raiders shirt on, the Raiders tank top on underneath it. Oh, my God. I love that. Um, <laughs> so I want to add on to your uh, coronavirus update here um, because 2020 apparently wants to 2020 harder. From the New York Times today, and a new strain of the H1N1 swine flu virus is spreading silently uh, in workers on pig farms in China and should be urgently controlled to avoid another pandemic, according to a team of scientists in a new study. H1N1 is highly transmissible, and the spread around the world in 2009 killed about 285,000 people and morphed into a seasonal flu. The newer strain, known as G4EAH1N1, has been common on China's pig farms since about 2016, and it replicates uh, efficiently in human airways. And this is according to a study published on Monday. So far, it has infected some people without causing disease, but health experts fear it could mutate and change without warning. G4 viruses have all the essential hallmarks of a candidate pandemic virus, according to the study, adding that controlling the spread in pigs and closely monitoring human populations should be urgently implemented. When asked about this new strain uh, in the U.S. Senate hearing today, uh, Dr. Fauci said, This was not an immediate threat, but something we need to keep our eye on just the way we did in 2009 with the emergence of the swine flu. Um, All right. What's uh, what's your uh, final story, Jordan? Uh, Well, first off, that is terrifying. So it would be uh, it'd be nice if we could look at the last six months as a roadmap of exactly what not to do and create a plan to do the complete opposite of that moving forward. But something tells me it's going to be more of the same shit if it does become a problem. Another reason to vote. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My final story, speaking of voting, is coming out of Kentucky. We were polling for Booker in Kentucky in that Democratic primary, choosing who will face off against Mitch McConnell. And I am very sad to report personally that Booker has lost and Amy McGrath has won. She squeezed out the votes. AG, you were totally right. It looked like it was those early vo- uh, voting ballot, the, the mail-in ballots that were expanded as a result of 
the coronavirus in those earlier stages of her campaign and she won and Charles Booker has already written statements uh, conceding and that's just a personal bummer for me as a progressive and I think it is for you too because I know you were going for him too. Warren endorsed him, Bernie endorsed him. Um, But yeah, now Amy McGrath is is the candidate and she is obviously better than Mitch McConnell so I will be voting for her in my brain in the district I do not live in and cannot vote in but I hope she wins <laughs> yeah I'll send her some money um for sure mm-hmm. uh, I'll support her over Mitch McConnell any day I yeah. did I do I was hoping Booker although this is a very good uh indicator that progressive candidates can win uh and you know, because I mean, like I said, you know, I had I had thought that all the early voting and the mail in mail in ballots were probably going to go her way. And um, but, you know, if we didn't have covid, if we were, you know, if he had gotten into the race, I mean, there were so many factors that made it the perfect storm for him to come so close. And, uh, you know, but I think that that, that can up that can be upheld and we'll see what happens in the next election. I'm I'm hoping you know, my, my hopes of hopes is we get Biden in November. And then in the 2022 midterm, we crush with progressive candidates. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, you know, we'll see where that goes. I hope it doesn't split the Dem caucus the way that the Tea Party split the Republican caucus. But either way, we definitely need to get more people who represent the, uh, you know, what America looks like and how America thinks Yep. in, in our, in our nation's government. So I agree. Thank you. Thank you for that update. Sure. Um, all right. That's news from under the radar. Uh, after this break, we are all going to get a free law lesson on the machinations of the Supreme Court decision announcements from a top legal scholar. You won't want to miss it. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG for The Daily Beans. Due to the global pandemic of the COVID-19 virus, the job market has been uncertain for the past couple of months. And we all know this. We don't know what the future holds We're in uncharted waters. And as a small business, you know, we understand what employees and employers are going through right now. Employers are employees are worried about their job still being there or having to find a new one when this is over. While employers like us, we're concerned about their, you know, our business surviving and hoping that both customers and employees return. Uh, In the effort to dissuade fears and provide some assistance and comfort in these crazy times, we want to relay the following message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong and to stay connected and to stay focused. We have to work to inspire and to innovate and build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and the people every day. But today is different because now we're partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we're finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, For the interview today... Uh, I know there are uh, so many people are keeping such a close eye on the Supreme Court these days, specifically the last few weeks with, you know, the Title VII LGBTQ plus decision. We had the DACA decision, um, an abortion, Louisiana abortion uh, decision that came down yesterday. And of course, we're all waiting to see whether Mazars and Deutsche Bank and Capital One have to hand over Trump's financial records to a few House committees or the Manhattan DA. So we're all sort of on pins and needles. So I, I've been feeling a lot of questions about 
how I know that there's going to be a decision when the decisions come, how, you know, how do I know what days they're going to be on, uh, how often they come out, and, and, you know, what we're sort of in an unprecedented time right now, so we're sort of waiting for these uh, decisions. We have more left than we usually do by this point in the term. So uh, I wanted to bring somebody on, uh, expert I've had on the show before, a friend of mine, Steve Vladek. Steve, welcome. Thanks. Great to be back with you. It is good to talk to you. For Let's talk about um, SCOTUS blog, the website, which is what I refresh like a maniac <laughs> on mornings that we have decisions and orders. Um, and we find out about the decisions and orders on the calendar when those happen. I'll talk about that in a second. And they give us the decisions, uh, and there's some coded things that happen when a decisions come decisions come out. So first of all, let's talk about the schedule. I believe it's 9.30 a.m. on these decision days. We get orders. What are orders? So uh, orders are basically what the Supreme Court does with what are called pending cases. So the court draws this distinction between basically cases that they're deciding whether to take up in the first place and then cases they've agreed to hear that are often just sort of referred to as merits cases. Um, and we actually we don't get orders on every decision day. We get orders on usually the first Monday after a conference. So for every conference the Supreme Court has, it's when they all get together, usually in a room, but I guess lately it's by video chat, um, and they vote on you know, which cases to take up, which cases not to take up, if there are pending motions in any cases. Um, the result of the conference is the order list, and that usually comes out the next Monday. Um, one of the things that's odd about the end of the term is that there are usually a couple of extra conferences that the court has to try to clean up all of the outstanding cases that have piled up before they use court actually added a second conference for Wednesday afternoon. Morning. That's pretty unusual, especially coming as it is right at the end. Yeah, I was going to ask, what are they going to conference about tomorrow? Um, so I think they've, you know, their usual MO is to be done this week. And in that universe, this conference would have been what's called the cleanup conference. And the cleanup conference is the conference they have after they've handed down the last of their decisions for the term, where basically they sort of dispose of all the remaining cases on the docket. Um, that's not this. And so I think what happened was, once they realized they were not going to be able to have the cleanup conference tomorrow, they realized that they needed to add an extra conference to deal with basically stuff between the last conference and the cleanup conference. Now that it looks like the cleanup conference is going to have to get bumped to next week. So I think in retrospect, the, the guidance we received from the Supreme Court, I think last Thursday, that they were adding a conference date tomorrow was basically a sign that they didn't think they were going to be done this week. Mm. And and speaking of the calendar, I'm looking at it right now. You you just Google SCOTUS calendar. It'll take you to the SCOTUS blog website, and you can look at the calendar of events. I see the conference as for tomorrow, and then on Thursday I see orders, but it doesn't say orders and opinions. It just says orders. For now. So this is, you know, one of the weird things about this time of year for the Supreme Court. And this is, you know, some of this is exacerbated by the circumstances that we're living in right now, but some of this is actually the norm. <laughs> um, the court only schedules formal, what are called hand-down days um, on Mondays. Um, and so, you know, there's, it's been the practice of the court, gosh, for as long as I've been watching it, that they always have to add some additional hand-down days to hand down additional opinions, not on Mondays, as we get toward the end of the term and as they're not done. Um, but the weird thing about that is those days are, are 
usually not announced that far in advance. Um, and so, you know, we're all waiting for guidance, which comes usually from the Supreme Court's public information office about when the next opinion day is. You know, that guidance will eventually be reflected on that calendar, but it's a sign of the sort of uncertainty that everyone is living with right now, that there's at least at the moment we're talking right now, no public indication of when the next decision day is. Yeah. In fact, there's nothing on the calendar after, it, you know, Independence Day is indicated on Friday, this Friday, the 3rd, and that's a court holiday. So nothing happens that day. We don't have anything listed until October. Um, as... Yeah, but I mean, but, but, I, but folks, I mean, and this is where I think the, you know, folks should not assume that there's a conspiracy. I mean, I think <laughs> this is, this is a combination of the Supreme Court's normal um, inscrutability combined with the calendar implications of the coronavirus, right? I mean, this is, mm -hmm. you know, the court is used to being on a very fixed schedule. And that very fixed schedule usually has the last arguments in April, which usually means, you know, they've got at least two full months to turn the decisions around. Um, because they pushed, you know, 10 cases all the way into May, including obviously the two Trump financial records cases, um, that's, you know... If they're, if they're on their original timeline, that would mean decisions by the middle of July. I think they're hustling to get them out as soon as possible. But, you know, clearly we're going into, into at least some part of July. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my best guess, AG, is that we'll probably hear guidance at some point that they're going to hand down decisions on Thursday as well. Um, and that Thursday will not be the last day, no. um, but that Monday will. And that between Thursday and next Monday, we'll get the remaining eight decisions and argued cases um, before the court disappears for the summer. Mm, yeah, in the, in the pool here at the office where it's just me and the cats, I have my money on Monday for the tax cases. A lot of people, uh, I guess it doesn't, it happens very rarely. I think 1986 was the last time we had decisions after the 4th of July. But like you said, we're in very odd times. A lot of the arguments were pushed back. Have you ever seen uh, because a lot of people are asking me this, and and I've I've been saying I this is I doubt it. That's doubtful. Have they ever held any decisions to the next term? So um, it happens, um, but usually it happens for procedural reasons. Um, so, for example, when you know when the court was at eight justices, um, both before Justice Gorsuch was confirmed, and then for a time before Justice Kavanaugh was confirmed, um, there were a couple of cases that got um, set for re-argument AG, um, which is how the court basically today holds cases over for a term. And I think that was not because of a lack of views among the eight justices. It was because of the absence of a tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. um, it would be really, I think, really, really shocking if the court pushed any of the eight remaining cases over to next term, um, but especially the Trump financial records cases. I mean, I think everyone understands that there are reasons why those cases and the faithless elector cases just have to be decided now. Um, and so I think, you know, now probably means next Monday as opposed to this Monday. But, I, you know, again, I think this is just the court moving at its normal pace in a very abnormal time and not any reflection of anything specific about something unusual in these cases. Yeah, and their last-minute edition of uh, of hand-down days or opinion days is normal. Yeah, I mean, at least as long as I've been paying attention to the court, you know, they usually, they're never done. So they're always done on time on their end, 
like from their perspective, which means by July 4th, and this is why this year is going to be weird, um, but they're never done by the day they initially promise. And so there's always this dance where, you know, starting the second to last week of the term and then the last week of the term, they had a whole bunch of additional hand down days. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that part of why they do that is because they don't want to hand down eight major opinions at once. Like, they actually think there's value to spreading these out. And part of it's because, in at least some of these cases, they're haggling over the opinions really all the way to the last minute. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and uh, I, I've noticed that um, – let's let's talk about the little spreadsheet thing where the, where the decisions come out. Um, they, the, the orders come out at, at 9.30 Eastern time, if there are orders that day. And then the decisions start at 10.00. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, and so that's 7 a.m. for me. <laughs> and um, how often uh, do those decisions, if there's more than one decision, how is it posted? How do we know there's another decision coming? And how often do the decisions come? Yeah. So, I mean, the, here there's an interesting distinction between what's the norm and what they're doing this year because of coronavirus. So in a typical year, um, the way this works is they take the bench at 10 o'clock. They physically go up on the bench and they start reading the opinions. Um, and they read the opinions in reverse order of seniority by who the authoring justice is. So the junior justice with an opinion goes first and then the next junior justice all the way to the senior justice with an opinion. And the timing in that sort of pre-coronavirus approach was just dictated by how long it took to read. So if the chief, you know, if, if Kavanaugh went first and had a five-minute opinion and no one was reading a dissent, we've got the next opinion at 10.06. Um, that's how it went in the sort of, you know, in-person days. And the way that that would get reported out is, you know, there were the folks in the Supreme Court press room actually are listening, have a live audio feed of what's happening up in the Supreme Court uh, courtroom. And as soon as they start reading the opinion, the press office hands to the reporters hard copies of the opinion. And so that's why, at least in the old days, folks were so dependent upon the Supreme Court press corps because they were the first ones to lay eyes on the opinions. Um, over the last couple of years, the Supreme Court has gotten better about posting the opinions to that website um, contemporaneously with when the whoever, whichever justice is reading, starts reading. Um, but it's not a perfect science. This is why there's still a little bit of an edge, at least under that system, with going with like SCOTUS blog and the folks who are, you know, live tweeting from the Supreme Court press room. And then there's coronavirus. And the problem that the court has been dealing with is they're not taking the bench. Um, and so at least at first, what they were doing is they were posting decisions to the website starting at 10 o'clock and then every five minutes thereafter until they were done. Um, when the Supreme Court press corps basically revolted, they pushed that to 10 minutes. Um, and so no matter how long or short the decision is, the, what the court's been doing really for the last month or so um, has been to hand down opinions starting at 10 and then every 10 minutes until there are no more opinions that day. And so then, and so then there's the question of how do we know when we're done, right? And so um, in the old days, right, in the sort of – in the taking the bench – days. The way we knew it was the last one is they would tell us, like the chief would say, finally, I have the opinion for the court, or finally, Justice Thomas has the opinion. And that would signal to the, the, the listeners that the court was done. Um, now we're left to clues on the website. And the one big clue on the website is there are numbers, what are known in super nerdy SCOTUS land as R numbers, 
um, that go next to each opinion to indicate the order of publication in the official reporter. Um, and those numbers aren't actually assigned until the court is done for the day. So just to, to take Tuesday, for example, when we got two opinions, um, the first one was booking.com. When that was posted to the website, there was no number next to it. And so that was a signal to everybody that this is not the last opinion. Mm-hmm. And then Espinoza was posted, and there were numbers next to both Espinoza and Booking. Now everyone knew they were done. Uh-huh. Um, it's a really, really nerdy inside baseball thing, but it's how people are able to say, aha, even though they haven't told us we're done, I can tell that we're done. Yeah, and, and I, I highly recommend everybody follow Steve Vladek on Twitter because you get it out probably faster than than most I've seen, and you also include... Uh, not everybody includes whether or not it's the final opinion of the day. Um, and so we go through that. And then what sort of information is included in the decision? We went over this a little bit. There's the vote. There's the opinion. There's the dissent. And you talked about the the, the junior justice is going first. Is the chief justice the most senior? Yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, the order of seniority is the order of seniority on the court, which means um, just to you know, in case folks are actually really this curious. So it goes Kavanaugh, um, Gorsuch, Kagan, Sotomayor, Alito, Breyer, Ginsburg, Thomas, and then the chief. Um, And so that would be the order in which we would hear opinions if they all had opinions. Um, So for example, uh, the first opinion of the day is from Justice Thomas, then we know that only other (laughs) opinions are from either Thomas or the chief. I guess that sort of puts close, you know, anything that's decided by chief, the chief justice who generally, uh, well, no, they don't always give the opinion, um, the chief justice, if, if they're in there. But if it's on there, it's usually like we, you know, we see a lot of five fours. But question for you, uh, we recently saw a four one four decision. Uh, everyone was like, is this a hockey game? I don't understand. Um, and that is a five four decision. However, it is distinctly unique in that it's there's there's an important distinction i guess is what i'm trying to say called stare decisis i believe are there any other which i've explained to the listeners here but are there any other instances where we would get something like that yeah i mean the i think the key nerdy point here is that they're voting on two different things so the the real bottom line that the justices are voting on is what's called the judgment Um, Are we affirming the decision below? Are we reversing the decision below? Are we vacating it? Um, And that, you know, there's always a majority for at least one bottom line. Um, But then there's the fight over why. And that's where we see splits. So, for example, on Monday in the Louisiana abortion case, there was no opinion that commanded a majority of the justices. There was a four justice plurality opinion by Justice Breyer and then this narrower concurring opinion in the judgment by the chief justice. And so it's, you know, the, the technical thing here is to note that the court did vote five to four um, in favor of the plaintiffs, yeah. right, to strike down that Louisiana law. But the opinion wasn't five to four, right? The, the rationale wasn't five to four. Um, and the reason why that matters is because um, if there's no majority for the rationale, then the rationale is not necessarily binding on lower courts in future cases. It doesn't make a difference to the parties in that case, right? Someone wins and someone loses, no matter what the rationale vote count is. 
But, you know, the precedential value of the decision depends upon whether there's a majority for the reasoning and not just for the result. Right. And in this one specific case, uh, whereas uh, Roberts didn't vote for the opinion, he didn't concur with the opinion, he concurred with the judgment because he had to under the stare decisis doctrine, which says we have precedent. There's an exact same case. And even though I dissented in that case, which is really interesting, uh, because there's precedent, I have to concur with this judgment. Have a nice day. And so I, I think there's going to be a lot of conservatives really angry with Roberts uh, who might not be. And there's going to be a lot of liberals who might think that Roberts is awesome when he's also not that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but if you have to say, I mean, there's there's no require. I mean, stare decisis was the particular thing the chief was focused on in the abortion case. There's no reason why that would necessarily lend itself to a fractured judgment um, or why. And there's no reason why that's the only way you could have a fractured judgment. You could have, you know, if there are two different ways that a party could win, you could have three justices who think they win one way and two who think they win the other way. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things for folks to keep in mind is um, the result and the reasoning are not necessarily hand in hand. Um, and so you could have a case where, you know, different coalitions of justices are voting for different theories, even if they're agreeing about what the bottom line is, who wins and who loses. Mm. Yeah. Uh, for example, when I was watching uh, for the uh, Title Seven, wh- you know, which said, uh, the, you know, the LGBTQ uh, plus whether whether uh, those that people from that community are covered by Title Seven. And I saw it was a six to three decision with Gorsuch with the opinion. My heart sank. Right. Uh, because if you've got a conservative judge giving an opinion on this case, you might tend to initially think without, you know, reading the decision that it's gone, you know, the way I didn't want it to go, uh, you know, personally. But then, you know, you get into this situation where I'm wondering, too, you know, how how that I mean, we can talk about why Gorsuch cited um, with the liberals on the court in that case. But it's it's always just so interesting to see these things pop up, make assumptions. You've got to read that decision. And so that's why I recommend everybody follow you on Twitter um, because, you know, you're you're very even handed and you're just like, here's here's what it is. Uh, and oftentimes you'll post six to three Gorsuch with the opinion Stand by, you know, because it takes a friggin' minute, to, you know, to get through it. So, and, and and you know, sometimes sometimes you're ready for things. I mean, so like the the Louisiana abortion case yesterday came out almost exactly how I thought it would, and mm-hmm. so I wasn't surprised to see four to one to four, and I wasn't surprised by what they all said. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get cases like the census citizenship case from last year, where there were like four different parts of the opinion that produced four different coalitions of justices. And so it took like 10 minutes to figure out what the heck was going on. And I think this is why, you know, folks should just be a little patient um, on decision days and why, you know, the sort of the the folks in the Supreme Court press corps try really hard to sort of not rush to air until they're sure of what they're saying. Um, But, you know, this is the court's trying to do its best, but its first priority is not necessarily how well we understand the decision. Um, And so I think, you know, this is why this process is, I think, ripe for a lot of overreactions and for people reading into things, things that aren't there when it's just, you know, a multi-body court trying to get opinions out 
um, and folks who weren't in the room while they were doing that trying to decipher them. Yeah, agreed. Um, and and before I let you go, really quick, do you you said it was you were pretty confident about how the Louisiana case would turn out. Do you have any confidence about how the tax cases are going to turn out? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the, you know, if you keep in mind, in the Louisiana case, I mean, the chief justice had already voted last February to, to with the progressives to stay the lower court decision, basically to keep the Louisiana law on hold, which I thought was a pretty powerful sign of where he was. Um, I don't have nearly as good a feel for those cases. I think, you know, the only thing I, I felt pretty good about coming out of the oral arguments is that I think it's pretty clear that the president's going to lose Vance, that is to say, the, the New York district attorney one. Um, I think, you know, Mazar's, I mean, he should lose that case. Um, but I have no, you know, I, I would not put any money on on a bet that that's the result. Yeah. And I, I'm 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 feeling really shaky about the Deutsche Bank Capital One case. Um, but and I know that Robert seemed to be looking during oral arguments for a middle ground. We'll see how it comes out um, probably next week. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I'll just, I'll just say this now. I mean, and if there is a middle ground, I think the middle ground is the one that Justice Kagan tried to float in the middle of the argument, which is, you know, uphold maybe two of the subpoenas from Congress, maybe the House Intelligence Committee and the Financial Services Committee and throw out the, you know, the oversight subpoenas, um, which, you know, I think would be I mean, the headline there would be a huge loss for Trump, although I think the long term you know, implications for Congress might be more of a mixed bag. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I hope that one of the committees in the House gets it. Otherwise, yikes. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Where can they where can everyone find you? Uh, Austin, Texas. No, but uh, I'm on Twitter <laughs> at Steve underscore Vladek, V-L-A-D-E-C-K. Um, and I co-host the National Security Law Podcast, where we talk about similarly nerdy things with more of a bent on national security law. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. Always, AG. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Everybody stick around right after this quick break. We're going to have the good news block. You don't want to miss it, so stay with us. Hey, friends, it's AG. I've told you guys about my Helix mattress. I love it. Jordan talks about hers. Mandy talks about hers. Joelle talks about hers. It is a game changer in solving my sleep issues. But now Helix has launched a new company called Allform that's gone beyond the bedroom to revolutionize furniture for the rest of your home. Allform makes beautiful, comfortable sofas and chairs and love seats delivered directly to you with fast, free shipping. Uh, Allform makes it easy to customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You get to pick your fabric color. Um, by the way, the fabric is spill stain and scratch resistant, excellent for pod pets. Uh, you get to pick the color of the legs, the size of the sofa, the shape of the sofa, or the love seat or the configuration of chairs to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. I got a three-seater sofa, and I customized it with whiskey leather and walnut leg finish. It matches my mid-century modern. It's got a chaise at the end of it. End of it. Uh, it came in a couple of days in the mail, and I put it together myself. No tools. I needed. I love it. Uh, they have armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. There's something for everyone. And you can always start small and add on as your, your family moves and grows. Um, usually if you want to order a custom sofa, it can take weeks or months. Uh, you would need someone to assemble it for you. But like I said, this just takes three to seven days in the mail. You can put it together yourself. And you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, but you will, they'll pick it up for free. And they'll give you a full refund. And they have a forever warranty. Literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. That's allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. Good news. 
And joining me today for the good news segment is Amanda Reeder. Mandy, welcome back. How have you been? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. It's really nice out today. Um, it, it's it's warm, but it's not blazingly hot like it was a couple weeks ago. So it's mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. I, I am appreciating it. Yeah, June is a weird weather month in San Diego. I uh, We had some like June gloom. We've had some really hot days. It can't make up its mind, but... Um, I'm mostly in my house, so <laughs> <laughs> totally. So I don't notice it. <laughs> well, we do have um, a lot of really great submissions from our listeners for good news, mm-hmm. but if you don't mind, I'd like to kick it off with a little Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. All right, here we go. Are you ready for this? In a loss for uh, Nunes, a Southern District of New York judge ruled that CNN, in this lawsuit against CNN, does not have to turn over discovery to the congressman before a motion to dismiss is decided. So Nunes sued CNN. CNN put in a motion to dismiss, uh, filed a motion to dismiss. Uh, Munez said, uh, hang on a minute, they have to give discovery first. And this judge says, no, they don't. This is U.S. Magistrate Judge Wang, uh, who ordered a stay of the discovery. Quote, I'm quite concerned about the broad scope of discovery sought by plaintiff Nunez. Uh, He also noted that it it ropes in the United States and Ukrainian politicians and a criminal defendant in the district. Judge Wang said, I am staying discovery and I'm not going to enter a case management plan at this time. And then she adjourned the proceedings and the case continues, but CNN can project its, or or excuse me, protect its privileged reporting while maintaining the status quo until a judge decides whether or not to dismiss the lawsuit. But with this whole, when the judge said, I'm, I'm staying discovery and I'm not going to enter a case management plan at this time, uh, all my beans are on Nunez's case getting the boot. Boonez. (laughs) (laughs) that was that was big jordan energy (laughs) (laughs) totally um and another uh little good news story here uh cohen representative uh democrat in the house has introduced a resolution to open an impeachment inquiry into bill barr so we'll let you know how that pans out sweet yeah all right let's get to our uh, listener good news why don't you go first with matthew's little bit Yes. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for sending in your good news stories. Uh, We really appreciate them. And we've also gotten some great uh, confessions in the last few days, which we only put out that show weekly. So uh, thanks for sending those in. And those will be included uh, probably in this weekend's Quarantine Confessions episode, which you have to subscribe to in its own feed. There's been some confusion from folks being like, where is it? I don't see it in my feed. It has its own feed unless you are a patron. Um, Okay. That being said, let's kick this off from Matthew, uh, he, him. Thank you for helping keep us sane with the crazy political times we live in. You girls rock. I don't know if I played a neat game is uh, is worthy good news material. I can say, why not? Um, That's what we have going for us at home right now. Um, uh, But the good news story from Kelly last episode about experiencing awe uh, I think that was the one where she was in Yosemite and, you know, you yep. and Jordan were marveling over the beautiful note that she wrote about experiencing life's awe and wonder. Um, she was a poet. <laughs> uh, made me want to share this story of my own. So here goes. For being locked in as we are, my hobby of gaming is unaffected and I got to experience some incredible awe from my leather computer chair this week. 
The game Outer Wilds, I've heard of this game actually, is such an emotional journey through Kant's starry heavens above us. And its ending address addresses the eventual heat death of the universe, of all things, in such an emotional way that despite how short they are, our lives have meaning because of the meaning we give them and make for ourselves every day. I've played hundreds of video games, but this one imparted actual emotional wisdom on me that made me have to lay down for a bit. Cheers from the swing state of Michigan. Keep up the awesome work. <laughs> oh, oh, awesome. Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> wow. I, hundreds of video games. I've played like six and and five of four of those were in the uh early 80s um i wouldn't i don't know if you'd even classify them as video games although they were you give like pong and stuff like that uh pac-man all that good old atari stuff and then i did play zelda on nes and then of course now i play animal crossing um and i did play a game on playstation 4 where it's this kid that you have to like maneuver through this dark forest and factories and he keeps dying and getting eaten by dogs it was really depressing limbo maybe i can't remember beautiful (laughs) game very depressing but i don't know heat death of the universe sounds interesting to me so maybe i'll check that out you know if you go through hundreds of games and this one is the one that you know struck you with a little awe maybe i will check it out the outer wilds thank you matthew yeah i i feel like part of the issue i have is that um a lot of times folks say to me cuz i don't uh, i have a lot of close friends who are gamers and i've had a lot of people very close to me who uh have endlessly recommended video games to me and i have played a few like i i've tried some of the fallout games some of the fable games um, and I love beautiful game design, but people always say it's so great, you should play it, but it's filled with violence. And I'm not like anti-violence. I just don't, I'd rather have a more whimsical experience. I don't want to have to like constantly be murdering people, you know? Um, so if you, <laughs> if you know, yeah, if you know of like a beautiful game, um, where there's a lot of exploration and a lot of beautiful game art, but it's not just full of murdering people, let us know. <laughs> um, what was that underwater game? For oh, PlayStation. I can't remember. Was it Bioshock, was it? Maybe oh, it was Bioshock. Either. But I um, hear that one's really pretty. Yes, totally. Um okay. Uh let's oh, see. Oh, we trade off now, so it's my turn. Oh yes, absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get in on the good news game. I felt left out. So absolutely. Um from uh anonymous pronouns she her. Good news, uh, she says. My husband and I are among the few liberals in our neighborhood. We are surrounded by Trump supporters, so we avoid talking to them about Trump. But one neighbor who voted for Trump is a veteran who was wounded in Iraq. And since the news broke about Russian bounties on U.S. troops, he is talking to us about Trump every single day when we walk by his house with our dog. He is outraged and tells us how much he regrets voting for Trump. He is very active and influential in our community association and in the veterans groups in our area. His voice will be powerful in trying to convince others to vote for Biden. A hopeful sign. Oh, good. That is. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. I haven't. I'm. I have my eyes on a lot of veterans. Uh, a lot of uh, liberal veterans groups. Um, you know, vote vets, vets for Bernie. Um, you know, veterans against Trump. Uh, vets resist squadron. Uh, but I also have my eyes on a lot of conservative veterans and they're crickets right now or they're mad. And so that is, I mean, it, it's, I don't want to say it's a hopeful sign. It's a hopeful sign for the election, it, uh, uh, you know, amidst an absolute shit show of a controversy. Um, <laughs> but 
But uh, thank you for that story. That's wonderful. And I, I'm glad that he's got a powerful voice in your community. Um, Amanda, who, who do we have next? The next one is from Louise, uh, pronoun she, her. Louise says, back in 2016, which, by the way, feels like nine million years ago. Um, back in 2016, my younger brother refused to talk politics with me, despite my attempts to discuss the importance of voting for Hillary over a third party or for Trump. The conversation turned angry and it was never mentioned again. This year, when he was driving to vote in his state primary in Michigan, he called me to get my opinion on whether to vote for Biden or Bernie, as he hadn't decided yet. I was excited that he had taken this positive step forward, but didn't think too much more of it given all of the COVID chaos. Then about a week ago, he sent me a text message saying, I went to a protest today. I'm not going to say anything to mom. She would have worried. It was very powerful and inspiring to see so many people peacefully talking. So I'm sending some of the amazing energy your way. It was an excellent, peaceful experience, and it restored some hope for humanity for me. Uh, we need to be out there changing the world. It's a shitty place now. Let's, <laughs> no, let's not make it a toilet. <laughs> He had his. <laughs> he also had his friends uh, wearing "fuck forty five buttons. I'm just so damn proud of him, and made sure to tell him. That is awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah! Fuck forty five buttons. I like that alliteration and the consonants in in the phrase "fuck forty five buttons." Fuck forty five buttons. Fuck forty five buttons. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Louise. And that's really great news. I love all these turnaround stories. And I, you know, we we had one of the original, one of the OG, most famous uh, former Trump supporters turn Joe Biden supporter. Actually, turned Elizabeth Warren and now Joe Biden supporter David Weissman on our show a while back, and we met him at Politicon. Just a really great guy. And I and you know this the sort of gauntlet he had to run when he left. Uh, the Trump cult, so to speak, to come over to the, you know, to the rebellion, left the dark side. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to do. And so I, I really like to talk about being very welcoming to former Trump supporters and not shitting all over them and, and asking them questions about why they were such assholes or if they're, you know, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. They supported a rapist and fuck you. That does nothing because, I mean, you know, our whole... the as uh, to me as liberals we scream that people need to change we we tell people over and over again you need to change trump is a terrible person and then we have to give them room to do that we mm -hmm. have to be welcoming and so yes former there are for, former trump voters out there there are a lot of republicans who i whose platforms i disagree with vehemently that are going to vote against trump and you know i don't have to you know go on a date with that person i just Thanks for voting for Biden, you know, and, and spread the word. Um, next up, we've got a good news story from Nikki, whose pronouns are she, her. Here in Iowa, you can request your absentee ballot for November starting next Monday, July 6th. I have my request form filled out and ready to go. But I also have my husband's, my mom's, my nephew's, my neighbor's all ready to go. There's no excuse for the state uh, not getting them to us in time if we request them f the first day. Uh, I'm loving helping all my friends get their requests ready, and no one, not even my darling space cadet mom, can forget to do it in, on time. Uh, my mom will just be pleasantly surprised when her ballot magically arrives in October. Everyone should look up when their ballot is first available to request and get everyone you know on board for voting by mail. It's easy, um, and it's a hand-marked paper ballot, toward numbers too big to manipulate. Ah, Nikki, you've been listening to us for a while. <laughs> the handmarked paper ballot lingity from Jenny Cohn and the numbers too big to manipulate. I love it. 
Um, thank you, A.G. Jordan and Mandy, for everything you do to keep us sane. I started listening early enough in the kitchen days. Oh, there we go. Um, so to be able to go back and binge all the old ones. So I've heard every episode of Muller She Wrote and Daily Beans. You're the best part of my day. I treasure the hard work each and every one of you do to bring us the news with swears each day. Well, thank you, Aww. Nikki. Thank you very, very much. I love this idea. You can have a, a like an email blast to all your family members to just get their information saying, hey, I'm getting you an absentee ballot, filling mm-hmm. them out. Uh, have Do a Zoom call, have a party, like a Zoom party, filling out your absentee ballot requests, whatever you need to do. Because it used to be, you remember, Mandy, I know, I know you don't vote, but I know you're re- real big into, into politics here in the United States. We used to have uh, vote parties where, you know, especially in the 2018 midterm, it wasn't just you go vote. You bring five friends to vote. Yeah. And absolutely. Now, this is that that this is the mail in version. This is the covid stay at home, be safe version of bring five friends. And so I love it. Thank you, Nikki, so much. Yeah, I, I fucking love that. And honestly, you know, if you have the time on your hands, if you, you know, put make a make a Google form, post it on all of your social media, collect as many people's information as possible. You know, help out help out the folks who are not tech savvy. Help out the busy parents. Help out anyone who you you know if you have if you feel like something you can give is your time, send out the mail in balance to everybody that you know as many people as you can. I mean, um, this is a great idea. I love it. Um, Mm -hmm. and on this subject, the next one is also about the election from Judith, she, her, and Judith says, my minister, Brian Berghoff, I believe that's how you say his name, uh, at pub theologian on Twitter is running for Congress, uh, democratic in Michigan's second district to represent the people, not the special interests. He's working hard in Michigan to represent a five term Republican, uh, incumbent in Congress who votes with Trump over 96% of the time. Boo. Oh, to, he's he's running to replace the five-term incumbent congressman. Correct. Yes, yes. He's working mm-hmm. to uh, replace a Republican. Uh, please consider donating. So Brian Berghoff. Berghoff is spelled B-E-R-G-H-O-E-F. Uh, good luck, Brian. And Brian with a Y. Brian with a Y. Brian with a Y, not with an I. Uh, now, I, I want to find out about, I want to find out about the Twitter handle at Pub Theologian uh, because that sounds awesome. To me, yeah, I'm an right? I, I'm an I'm an atheist, agnostic, atheist, but like a pub theologian, I could hang with. Right, that sounds like my kind of ministry. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Uh, yep, yep. We only have I, one more like good that. news story, and uh, you guys can't see it, but we can see it. There's a really cute picture attached. Oh my gosh, we have to send that out in the newsletter. Do you think it would be okay from RJ? Uh, him? I assume so. I will double check with RJ, but uh, I'm sure it's fine. I, we, I, in fact, I, I believe on the form when we collect the photos, we have a little uh, disclaimer that says we may use these on our social media. So, um, so yes, we will share this adorable picture with everyone. <laughs> yeah, uh, RJ, if you don't want us to, just send us a message. Otherwise, yeah. we're gonna because oh my friggin' god, she's a chonk. <laughs> uh, look at her little cheekers. First of all. First of all, she looks like my villager Apple on Animal Crossing's New Horizon. <laughs> She's got these cheeks, and I want to eat her little face. And oh, <laughs> my God. Did we introduce her? They were like, what are you guys talking about? Is it a cat? Is it a human? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Uh, from RJ, I have a new granddaughter, Maya. She was born on Juneteenth. She is strong and healthy, and her mom is doing well, too. One nice thing about being born on Juneteenth, 
Juneteenth, Grandpa won't have any trouble remembering her birthday. Aww. Oh, it's a it's a it's a human child. Just <laughs> you know. Oh, she's so cute. I don't like babies. Generally, I'm like, that's an ugly baby. This is a friggin' cute baby. It's a really cute well baby. Well done. Yeah, it's the kind of baby cheeks that give me that cute aggression like you mentioned where you want to stuff it in your mouth. If You you guys know what I mean by this, right? Cute aggression, really cute dog, yeah. really, really cute baby. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I just want to stuff the whole thing in my mouth. Eat it for dinner. Yeah, your cuteness is weirding me out. Have you ever seen Punch Drunk Love? No. He just says to her, Adam Sandler says, your face is so beautiful. I just want to smash it with a hammer. <laughs> There's a lot of good uh, cuteness (laughs) aggression in that movie, by the way. I I tell my dog every day, I'm like, I'm going to fling you into space. (laughs) Mm. Um, I feel the same way about baby feets. Like, what if. if, Yeah, I want to eat the feet. Yeah, chubby toddler feet. I'm like, I'm going to eat your toes. Normal stuff. (laughs) What's that about? I, I like maybe because, you know, when you're a baby, you put your feet in your mouth. So maybe that desire to put baby feet in your mouth never goes away. Maybe. Oh my God, you just blew my mind with that. <laughs> because when I see baby feet, I want to put them in my mouth. Right. I do. I exactly. Do. I do. I want to stuff it all in my mouth. We have genius <laughs> listeners. We have like scientist, genius, doctor listeners with like multiple degrees working in research fields. If you know about the baby feet eating phenomenon, <laughs> send us a message. If there are studies out there, I mean, I could go and look on my ProQuest, but I like ever since I finished my dissertation, I promised I would never go there again. Um, but, you know, if you if you know of any reason why grown fucking people want to put baby feet in their mouths, <laughs> let me know. Uh, um, right. This was a, it was a good news day. Uh, thanks, everyone, for, uh, your, very. For, your, for your good news. Um, please keep sending it in. Uh, and uh, you can find that uh, on our website or on our pinned tweet at Daily Beans Pod. Yeah, we're really close to our 20,000 followers mark at Daily Beans Pod, so check it. We're really close. Uh-huh. And we're getting close to 100,000 at Mueller, she wrote. That uh, political article that came out about me kind of did a number on our followers, really got a lot of new ones. And then, of course, when somebody awesome like Scott Dworkin or John Cryer or horse whisperer or john cooper you know or natasha bertrand tweets us out or retweets us um because you know i was trying to get that russia story out there we got over like thirty thousand likes and a whole grip of retweets on that tweet because it was just retweeted by so many influential people we you know we we drew a few followers there too so if you aren't following us on twitter it's such a fun time there's Mm -hmm. so much um I'm being sarcastic, but I do, I do (laughs) spend a lot of time on Twitter. I do spend a lot of time on Twitter and I, like I tweeted out a thread I talked about earlier in the show. Check us out. Follow us at at Daily Beans Pod and at Muller She Wrote. And Mm -hmm. one lucky random follower at Daily Beans Pod will be selected to have a meet and greet, either online or in person. Online for now with us to have cocktails like in a small party. And then later when we can go and visit people, you know, maybe after we have a vaccine, uh, or certainly after Trump's out of office, we'll come, we'll fly to where you are. I'll bring the network from Starburns Audio, and uh, we'll all have a little hang. So so follow us there. You don't have to do anything but follow us. And that's it. Do you have any final thoughts, Mandy, today? Stay safe. Wash your hands. Register to vote. Or register, register for your mail-in ballot, more like. If you're not registered to vote yet, you should be already. <laughs> register for your mail-in ballot. <laughs> yes. Wash your hands. Register mail-in. And then okay. wash your hands again. 
Correct. Uh, and and then uh, you know enjoy enjoy uh, have a margarita. You know, yeah, treat do yourself. have a margarita. Absolutely, treat yourself. If you're not drinking, if you're sober, then have a have a have a like a a virgin skinny margarita. Virgin daiquiris are delicious, especially the frozen strawberry ones. I recommend Ooh, those. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Uh, Joelle, Joelle said she's going to get a margarita maker for your house, and I'm very excited. Yeah, either that or a frozen machine, or you know, we we might do both. I don't know, but. It needs to happen. I'm. By the way, I'm setting up my now that my ex has gone out of the house. I'm making it how I want it, and I'm redoing my backyard right now. And and uh, it that's it's going to be just like I'm trying to make it like Palm Springs. I'm mm-hmm. I'm basically now that we have COVID, I'm tr- I'm I'm trying to retire. Like I'm saying, how do I just live in my house mm-hmm. forever? <laughs> that's sort of what I'm doing. It's sort of like a combo. Got rid of the ex who wouldn't let me do anything that I wanted to you know nesting uh and then covid hits and we're home all the time anyway so now i just have now i have all these projects i want to do and i'm i'm super excited and yeah margarita slash frosé machine or blackout lemonade machine would be great too Ooh, yeah mm. yeah maybe <laughs> mose has one they can spare <laughs> but um uh yeah that's the plan but uh i'm 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 very excited about it and uh you know, if you've got good news stories about projects that you're doing around your house, you know, now that we're spending more time at home, I feel like a lot of people are like redoing stuff in their house and making it more livable because we're just spending so much more time mm. in our homes. And I, I, I've i really like started to grow, like grow attached to this house, like more mm-hmm. than I ever had been before. It was just a place I was living, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. People are having a lot more, I think, sense of place and um and slowing down and like a lot of us have, you know, changed a lot about ourselves these last few months because we can't, you know, rely on all the things that used to fill up our days. Um, I mm. am particularly interested in folks who want to share their uh, gardening stuff with me um, on Twitter at Mandy Reader. I am a newbie in growing my own food and doing a little gardening projects. And so, yeah, if that's something you're spending a lot of time doing in lockdown, share it with me, share your pictures and your um, articles and YouTube videos and whatever podcasts. Very interested in uh, growing my own food, even in small spaces. So, uh, nice. yeah, I'm also really excited for your hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to tell you, like this. Here's my final thought uh, before I do the sign off. Here, this is the first year that I've never felt the very real pressure of having a beach body. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time summer rolls around, I uh, it's like there's no I I didn't really go to the beach before, but there was there's for some reason the pressure is gone this year. Maybe because I you know I just because we're staying in our homes or uh, you know there's just bigger fish to fry in my head. But or maybe it's because I'm just old enough now where I just don't give a fuck. But or a combo of the three. But to not have that summer body beach ready pressure even as a 46 year old person who is not on television and doesn't live in los angeles is just i have to say it's really fucking nice it's really nice and i'm appreciating it and uh i'm gonna do this from now on whether whether uh i'm gonna i've decided this is how i'm gonna feel about summer from now on whether we have a a pandemic on or not so those are my final thoughts the beach is gonna get whatever damn body you give it (laughs) <laughs> mm, yeah somebody actually tweeted out one time or put on instagram like actually the stel- like the optimal beach body is to have like webbed feet and gills and a, like a giant lobster claw and like a 
like a butt crack that can't get sand in it, like a sandproof butt crack area. And I was like, you know what? That is the ultimate beach body. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. That is our show. Everyone, we will see you tomorrow, or, or we, you'll hear us tomorrow. Uh, and uh, everyone, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Manda Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reader. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reader. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>